Welcome to Safety Talk. Personal safety expert Pete Canavan shares his insights and interviews experts who provide simple and effective tips, techniques, and technologies to keep you safe and secure both online and off. Here's Pete. Hello, and welcome to Safety Talk. We've got another awesome episode for you guys today. And for all you manufacturing companies out there, in this episode, we're featuring a company that strengthens the safety, security, and integrity of critical infrastructure and manufacturing operations. And of course, securing critical infrastructure companies is a focus of my company as well, since this is an industry that has many vulnerabilities with operational technology. And you know, companies can have potentially hundreds or you know dozens of devices, IoT devices on a network. And uh, our guest today on this episode is gonna talk to us about his company's technology uh, that addresses this need. Of course, cyber criminals can wreak havoc on industrial networks and critical infrastructure companies anywhere they decide to strike. And of course, it is imperative that both public and private entities do all that they can to keep that critical infrastructure safe. And today you're going to learn about a company that has a technology that can help you do just that. Now, if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to our Safety Talk channel on your favorite podcast network or YouTube and help us spread the word. So I'm your host and safety sensei, Pete Canavan. And my guest on this episode of Safety Talk is Aaron Fine. He's the CEO and co-founder of NanoLock Security. And this company protects the operational integrity of devices and machines within manufacturing companies, critical infrastructure, and industrial facilities. NanoLock also provides device-level zero-trust operational technology cybersecurity solutions to customers that are involved with critical infrastructure, including food and beverage, utilities, uh, industrial, and of course, manufacturing companies. He's an entrepreneur. He's senior manager with over 20 years of international experience in founding and managing and leading high-tech companies, and he holds 23 patents, so he knows a thing or two. So how does Nanolock Security do this? We're about to find out. So it's my pleasure to welcome Aaron Fine from Nanolock Security to Safety Talk. Welcome. Thank you, Pete. It's a great being hosted here, and thank you for the introduction. Absolutely. Uh, we, we really appreciate you joining us. Uh, you are coming to us from uh, Tel Aviv. And uh, it's obviously Israel has been in the news a lot in terms of terrorist attacks. But we have all kinds of attacks that we need to worry about, both from man and uh, you know those that can attack our machinery as well. Uh, we see it in the news all the time. And of course, keeping those critical systems up and running uh, is priority one. And your help, you know, your technology helps us do just that. So we're going to get into that. Uh, maybe we'll just start off by letting our audience know a little bit more about your background and how you kind of got involved with uh, with Nanolock. So um, my background is entrepreneurship and, and leading startup companies. And um, I'm, I was fortunate enough to start two companies that were acquired. Um, and I was serving on the, the, Nanolock, the Nanoscience Technology Center of the Tel Aviv University. And through that, I was introduced to an interesting technology that was way too complicated for the market, but it triggered some ideas. Uh, we went to the market and we found an interesting niche alongside my uh, co-founders, the late Shlomo Oren, another gentleman, Erez Kreiner, that was heading the cybersecurity protection of Israel infrastructure. And by understanding the uniqueness of the need to protect OT, operational technology environments, critical infrastructure, and doing that through the uniqueness of Israel being both a massive target, but a pillar and, and an innovative um, country in finding solutions to that. And by interviewing customers, both in Israel, US, Europe, 
Um, we came up with a specific need. Of course, in the beginning, it was seemed like it's a small market because IT was dominating. But um, in the last, I think, five, six years, protecting critical infrastructure and uh, industrial um, assets had become a very important and um, much needed um, uh, demand from the market. So that's how we started from speaking with the customers, speaking with industrial companies, identifying where the market is going and understanding that what, it, what was out there in the market was not providing an adequate solution. Yeah, and it's uh, the problem too is it's constantly evolving. And with our increased reliance on technology and with more and more devices on networks, you know, there's only so much security that you can build into these small devices, whether they're temperature monitors or some you know, moisture, you know, and humidity monitoring. And you know, of course, all the machines that are, are tied to the network, you know, either wired or wireless. Uh, it's just that many more endpoints on the network. And, you know, if you've got one weak link uh, in your network that, you know, uh, a hacker is able to get into, then they can start, you know, going to the rest of the network and they can do their, their uh, dirty business there and try to, you know, whether it's stealing intellectual property, whether it's taking your systems down, whether it's causing some other disruptions, there's a lot of, you know, their goals are uh, are many. And uh, but of course, they're trying to disrupt and, and line their pockets at the same time. And it's it's a very difficult time. But the need, as you said, uh, Aaron, is is has never been greater. And I think the need is going to continue to grow exponentially. I think uh I read a statistic recently that the number of IoT devices by the end of 2015 is going to be somewhere around 37 billion devices right. on the internet. Right. I mean, that's a staggering number. Uh, and so that's that many devices that we have to protect. So, um, so how does so uh, Nanolock Security is a company that has now the focus is on securing that critical infrastructure, uh, operational technology, which, you know, as you said, it used to be IT was the big focus, which it still is, but OT has become more uh, of a priority for businesses as we've seen it grow so much. So how does um, how does the technology of NanoLock, uh, give us, I guess, the, your best description of what it does in, in terms of how it helps the industry as a whole, and then we'll kind of dive into some of the specifics of that. So in, in a second, I'm going to give yourself and, and our audience a, a, a demo, which is going to surprise you and them, I think. Um, but I think the, we need to define the problem. I think there's a differentiation between OT, operational technology, which are usually legacy or new infrastructure. These are more the machines. And you have the IoT, which are the smaller devices. Hmm. And the issue is that the OT, usually PLCs or RTUs, I don't want to become more... To technical are legacy devices coming from multiple vendors and multi-generations. And the, the second part is you and I have different passwords. So you have Pete 1234, I have around 1234 because everybody chooses first name 1234, but we have different passwords. When it comes to industrial, think of the issue. You have 100 engineers, one machine, so they all share the same password. So think of this, that you, in the industrial world, industrial world by design, you don't really have good security. So you're building a parameter. You're saying, I'll protect the network, I'll protect the access, the access. But it's just protecting one door out of the many doors that people can infiltrate. 
So people can come from the network. So you air-gapped or you put um, something on, on the edges, but this could be an insider threat, a disgranted employee, a manipulated employee, a stupid employee that really thinks that this is his uncle from Nigeria who's a prince that gives him a million dollars and he presses the link. You can have your vendors, which is, this is Joe who comes every morning, you know Joe, he comes with his laptop to do some work, but who knows where Joe's laptop spent the, the last night? We don't know. So he could come up harmful. And lastly, human errors. All of this can lead to a disruption in the way the machines work. And I promised you a demo. All of our customers have one thing in common. These are their machines. They move. Right? So if you make food, if you make energy, if you make water, if you make a car, if you make a pharmaceutical product, oil and gas, you have machines that moves. Mm-hmm. And the bad guys are trying to do this. So they're trying to make a change. And if they'll make a change, then you have a disruption. A change could be, I'm stopping your information, colonial pipeline, ransomware attack. I'm stopping the machines from working. It doesn't matter. And I, I promise you, there are so many dormant code in there that in due date can go out. Another very simple example, and we have that with so many customers, is the, again, the disgruntled employee that changes this because it wants to harm the employer. You have a manipulated one that is given a USB and a lot of money to do something. Just put the USB at night when nobody sees. It's becoming more complicated because you have the headquarters beautifully established in Wisconsin, but you have a hundred factories all over the world, not necessarily the same cyber hygiene, not necessarily the same level of trust of the employees and so on and so forth. So the problem is not, okay, let's put the best high-tech solution we have on the parameter, we buy the best VPN, we'll look at the network. It's just not adequate enough because in the OT, in this industrial world, the problem are the assets and not the access, the manipulation of the of the assets. So a lot of the solutions which are detection solution or VPN are just trying to say, we'll hold the door so somebody will not come in, but there's so many other holes to come in. And in the beginning, you, you did a beautiful explanation and you said there's in critical infrastructure and industrial. But for someone who's manufacturing, I don't know, candies, his machines are critical infrastructure. If somebody will harm his machines, he'll be out of business or there will be in OT, the problems are not only financial, you can kill people. So there could be a disruption and you can have fatalities. You can have um, financial losses. People can lose their jobs. People lost their countries, right? In 2015, 2016, in the, um, um, Ukraine lost the Primaria because, a peninsula because of a cyber OT attack on the energy grid in Ukraine. So OT is critical, and everybody who has a manufacturing facility, which is the basis of their business, if that will be attacked, that for them is an asset and a critical, it's an attack on their critical infrastructure, which is their business. And you also mentioned IoT. IoT are a second generation, are ways to infiltrate in. So again, the, the holy target is to disrupt the company whether it's a ransomware, whether it's, say, stopping or breaking the production, whether it's changing the way the lights work in the um, in the streets because you want to disrupt that. The means can be a sensor, a because hackers always look at the weak spot, which can be a sensor or could be a person or could be the laptop of an engineer 
that spends the nights with his laptop wherever, and I can put some kind of a malware inside that the, the next day will go into the, when he goes into the factory, I can use that door. So it's always the wicked spot. The target is disrupt the production, disrupt the assets. Do that by finding the weak, the weak spot. And the problem is legacy systems, multi-vendors, no unification of what is needed, and so many attack vectors, which many of them are not covered today. You mentioned something about legacy systems that uh, definitely bears uh, some highlighting. Uh, I have clients that are manufacturing companies, and one of the things that is frustrating is some of them have embedded systems. So there's an embedded operating system in it that cannot be updated. So if there are updates to that operating system, you it's a closed system. You're not able to update it. If there is security software that you'd like to install, whether it's you know some uh, uh, you know a client-based software program that communicates with a server-based you know system that pushes out updates to uh, you know antivirus software or something like that, you might not be able to install it on that system. And so you've got a lot of especially older systems, uh, you know, right. in terms of equipment that are running these older embedded operating systems or proprietary uh, software that could be you know could be around for a long time and so now some new vulnerability is found or you know when something gets on the network it's looking for devices that are running outdated operating systems and it says oh we got one here we got one here we got one here there's our weak spots and now they can go in there they can cause the machines to shut down they can cause them not to work correctly they can use them as you know launching pads for something else and so that's a that's a big problem that i've seen is the inability to upgrade older legacy systems software. And of course, yeah. companies can't, you know, if you've got a million dollar piece of machinery, it's going to be hard to update that every year uh, with a new one, you know, and, or every couple of years, you know, because a lot of times, even larger companies, you're financing these things. You're not putting, you know, you don't need to buy 10 new systems at, you know, $10 million a piece. You're not going to drop $100 million a year to replace those systems every couple of years just because you want to stay up to date. It's like, well, the system works. Why do I, you know, if it's not, quote, broke, don't fix it. But again, there has to be something, I think, more of a a common standard for that has to be developed. And, you know, you, you may agree with me on this, Aaron, but that these sorts of systems have to have some way that they can be updated and more easily monitored to lock them down and to keep them so that they aren't such vulnerable endpoints. Now, some things are obviously, you can't put a lot of technology into like small monitoring systems, little IoT devices and stuff like that. But I mean, they're everywhere. I mean, they're in people's homes or they're in businesses. You know, everything is quote, smart anymore. You know, you got a smart fridge, a smart stove. I mean, come on, right? <laughs> but they're all vulnerable endpoints to a hacker. Uh, and you may even have, you know, even in a business, maybe there's a smart fridge in the break room. Okay, people aren't thinking about that. They're thinking about protecting the main network. They're not thinking about the new state-of-the-art refrigerator they just bought for the employees. So there's right. a lot of things that um, I think have to be, we have to shine a light on in order to make progress. And so, that, you know, and, and that brings us to some other challenges. I mean, from your standpoint, what are some of those challenges that you see facing the industry as a whole? Kind of like some of the things that I've been talking about. And, and I'll get to that in, in one second, Pete. Uh, there is a, a, a strong wave of regulation for what, calling for device level protection. US is, is a bit lagging behind. So you have 
CCOP in Singapore, which are the leaders. You have something called NIST-2 in Europe, which is part of the Cyber Security Resilience Act. You have work in Australia. Um, so I think other continents have appreciated and understood that that need. U.S. by the sheer size and complexities is a bit lagging behind, but it's it's progressing very, very fast. So there is an understanding that there's got to be, and there are a few bills coming out, came out and coming out in the U.S., which are pushing this. So there's an understanding that that has to be protected. But there are inherent problems which cannot be really solved. So there won't be any unification. You you have so many powerhouses and so many OEMs that will never agree. So again, the, our universe is protecting PLCs and, and RTUs and, and those kind of assets. Um, you have powerhouses there that have legacy systems, but nobody will agree that a Siemens management system will also manage a Rockwell Automation or a Schneider because everybody has its own ego and, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So again, it's an it's a opportunity for, for a company like Lanonok, but the fact that you have multiple vendors, multiple generations, um, the egos of the asset owners, the asset manufacturers themselves, create that creates that opportunity. The smart side, the modernized element that you're speaking about creates a different thing, which is some of your elements are smart. They have connectivity and they're connected to the internet. Others are disconnected and managing and evaluating the risk factor of those assets is complicated. We work with a lot of customers that their actions are, let's air gap our systems because you know we're afraid of people coming from the internet. However, it's not a smart move to get your systems to be off the grid. The grid has advantages. Connectivity has advantages, but it's not used properly and putting legacy environments connected without the adequate protection is one cannot emphasize how dangerous that is. Very true. And it is dangerous. But and you said like it's hard to get these companies to work together because they don't want to share, you know, proprietary code, for example. And it's like, hey, no, this is ours. This is how we do things. And um, egos get in the way of a lot of things, don't they? Right. <laughs> uh, well, that's a bit of the opportunity for us, again, in, in one word. We are, as a company that provides a multi-vendor, multi-generation solution for critical infrastructure, um, you asked me before, how do we come up with the idea? Well, we spoke with customers. We heard the same challenges, and we understood that the vendors themselves, the OEMs, cannot come with a solution by the inherent targets that they have, the way they're built, their own DNA. So that's a bit of the opportunity that we saw in the market. So let's talk a little bit about how does the NanoLock security work for a business? If you have a new client that comes to you and says, hey, you know, we're a big manufacturing company. We've got all of these machines and monitors and uh, sensors and things like that. What does How does NanoLock come in and, and secure that for the client? So let's look first, if, if, if you don't mind, let, let's look at what he has before Nanolog, right? So it's not a, we're not the first cyber company, we're not the first industrial company. A customer may be very novice and, and has a lot of solutions or a few solutions. There's, there's, you don't come and, and there's a void. So a customer might find himself with a VPN or protection of the network. He may find himself with what is called IDS, network detection or anomaly detection systems. He may find himself with what is called PAM, privilege access management. But they're all not prevention, they're detection. They're trying to understand if something malicious happened. 
Okay. And usually this is a good way to say the horse has just left the stable. The stable was great and just they left it a second ago. And it's also creating alerts fatigue and, and misses the insider threats. So it's a bit challenging, not a perfect solution. So when we come to the customer, we ask him, he may have two out of two solutions, two needs. The first one is to protect the PLCs and RTUs. RTUs is something called remote terminal unit, again, used in the industrial world. And the PLC's programmable logic controllers are the things that makes the machines move in a certain way. When I describe this, this is governed by a PLC. Mm -hmm. And in this case, we tell him, we will provide you with a software that will enable governing the PLCs without installing anything inside the PLC because it's impossible. And again, I won't be too technical, but we put some kind of a technology that governs those PLCs and governs the last mile, the last millimeter of how you change them. Because for us, the cyber event is when somebody changes this to that, not by guessing the password, is by making a change from the way the machine should work to a new way it will work, the disrupted way. So we govern through a software in the changes made to the PLC. When somebody has different technologies or different needs, which are not PLC, we work with laser cutting machines, we work with smart meter companies, with meter companies, we work with the OEM itself or either directly or through partners, and we provide a piece of software they can incorporate inside. The difference is in the first solution, the OTD, OT Defender, we work with the end customer, the, the industrial companies, the food companies, the energy companies, the water companies, um, and, and industrial companies, and so on and so forth. The second solution, what we call the Edge Defender, is when we work with OEMs and deploy that inside. And we have customers who are, which are both. They say, we want to start with the OT Defender to protect assets. And please add a layer on top of that of the smaller devices or the not the machines, the smaller devices inside. So two different solutions, one for the PLCs and RTUs and the other one for the smaller or the non-PLC uh, machines. Interesting, because they both obviously need protection. And so you, so like, for example, I have a client that's a big machine shop. Um, they've got uh, these huge Mitsubishi laser cutters, right? There's nobody around that, that services them when they need help. You know, somebody from Mitsubishi has got to fly out and fix them. So would you work with a company like Mitsubishi, for example, to say, hey, we need to secure this better we have a solution, here's a solution, and you try to get them to incorporate it. Because that's like one of those embedded systems I was talking about earlier. It comes with software, it's a certain version, like an embedded version of Windows, can't be edited, can't do anything with it. So you either got to air gap it, or you know, somehow find some other way to secure that device, you know? But to make it easy, you want it on the network. So you can send you know, the jobs through the network from a PC to it, instead of having to download it onto a flash drive, walk up to the computer, plug in the USB drive, Load the software. You know what? It, I mean, you know, it's it's convenience yeah. is what people want. Time is money. So let me give you an example of a true customer, which became it became public. So I'm, I'm very comfortable in saying. So we have a laser cutting machine manufacturer. It's called by, by Stronic. It's a Swiss company, one of the largest in the world. They make laser cutting machines and and metal bending. So it's not Mitsubishi, but they're one of the in the same industry. Mm -hmm. And in this case, um, Bistronic is, is our customer, again, public uh, knowledge. And we protect and help them manage and protect their assets with tens of factories around the world, where instead of 
Number one, it's protecting the assets. They're, it's enabling a remote update because it's securing the update and so on and so forth. So on one side, we, we work with the manufacturer of the equipment, but also in some cases, we work with the shop itself that says, I don't want to speak, please do not speak with my vendor. I don't want to pay them or I don't want to work with them. I don't want to do any changes. Can you solve it? And then we solve from, with a different technology to protect. So this is exactly the, the two solutions that we, when we speak with a customer, we say, do you have good relationship with the vendor? Do you want to buy a new machinery or update your machinery? Or do you want us to protect you from the outside? But again, that's, that's great. That you can give them exactly that as you described. And, and by the way, the problems are not only cyber, that's also human error. You just described the mom and pop shop with three machines. They can make a mistake and, and kill their business. So we have businesses that if you make a mistake on the laser cutting pattern, pattern you just threw away $2 million because the piece of machine that machine that you just cut cost $2 million. So it doesn't matter to them whether it's a cyber attack or a human error. They want to prevent it both. Very true. Yeah, and it's good that you give them options because some people would not be comfortable going one route or the other. They want to keep everything in-house as much as possible. So so this is it's very interesting because of how this is sort of differs from what you would consider, I guess you could say, traditional uh, operational technology cybersecurity, right? Correct. Traditional is nice, but traditional, the other guys, the adversaries know traditional as well, right? So, Right. And that makes you more vulnerable if they're familiar with it. Uh, so that ties then into, of course, the actual physical security potentially of that plant as well, correct? Correct. But again, physical security. So I tell you what is the biggest problem, the human nature. So physical security is great. I've been to many factories which are heavily secured. The second time I was there, I said, hey, Ron, how are you? And the entire physical security is up in the air because, you know, they already know me. And if they saw me, if I'm, again, one of their vendors and I come every week and they know me and we're drinking coffee together, you can have the best physical security protocols. In reality, that vaporizes because of the human nature. So you can have, and this is always the problem in my view. Everybody has huge books, huge pamphlets on how to protect and these are the way, this is the way you do that. And the other, these are the protocols. And you got to have two cards and the machines that needs to look at you and analyze you and x-ray you before. Okay. It's good, great for the first three months. And then human nature kicks in and all right, come in, come in, buddy. We know you. Right, right. And that's all, of course, always the, what the cyber criminals are, are betting on. You know, even things like baiting. Right. Where, you know, somebody could be coming into a facility, you know, for weeks. Uh, maybe it's a vendor that could be just somebody working on the, the vending machines or it could be somebody installing it or it could be even just a, a, a vendor. Um, and they somehow have been compromised. And now they go to the bathroom and they leave a USB drive on the sink. Correct. Next person comes in there, goes, oh, somebody left a drive here. What's this? They go back to their computer. They plug it in. Boom. Problem. <laughs> and by, by the way, from a... a um politeness point of view, when I speak with customers, let's say it's an American customer, I say people in the U.S. are the best and they don't make mistakes. But you have probably <laughs> sites outside of the U.S. which don't follow the phenomenal protocols that you have. Because nobody wants to feel that um, he doesn't have the most perfect. Um, and it was proven, you know, everywhere in the world. Eventually, um, the rigid protocols fail some way or the other. 
They always do. They always do. Where there's a will, there's a way. Somebody's going to get in. If you're a target, you know, it's and there's a there's a, a reason for it, whether it's, you know, taking over or disrupting an industry. I mean, there are, there are so many ways that um, so many different goals that the criminals have. And, and most of them it's, it's disruption. Right. I mean, cyber attacks are designed to disrupt uh, businesses and infrastructure and to wreak havoc and to cause fear and to to get people to you know, lose money and for them to make money. Um, so in terms of, uh, so you, you talked about like outside contractors and, you know, how the, the physical security side of it is great initially, but then the familiarity kicks in, human nature kicks in, and that causes issues there. Uh, what about some specific ways that this relates to overall prevention? So when you have, you were talking about your technology earlier, where it you can either put it on the network and monitor things, or it can be integrated directly into the the equipment. How does that? So what would occur? So you have your your solution is now installed at a client, and I'm assuming there's some sort of monitoring station or master control panel that is analyzed or would send alerts out if it if it determines that something falls within normal or outside no. of normal parameters. No, this is for, for us, this is the exact opposite of what we do. So you just describe a situation where you know what is the norm and what is abnormal. Mm -hmm. But this assumes that you're smart enough to know what is normal. And it's not necessarily that the cyber adversary is polite enough to be to look abnormal. Because again, if it's an insider that has a root privileges and has your username and password, it looks very, very normal. So we do something very, very different. So here are two other solutions, and then we look at ours, ours. The first one is I am allowing you, it's a privilege access. So is Pete allowed to get in, and what is Pete allowed to do when he's in? You need a very modernized network. You need, a, in many cases, hardware. But once Pete is in, he can probably do whatever he wants. So this is a strong and heavy door, but it's a complicated door. And after you pass the door, you can do a lot of things and not necessarily um, the installation of that door is easy. The second thing is, let's try to guess, as you said, is that abnormal? Is that moving from the golden standard? There are two problems there. Number one, not necessarily everything indicates that it's moved from the golden standard. It doesn't leave traces. And number two, it is post-event. Something occurred and you identified it but it could be already too late. Gotcha. We do something else, and I go to my very, uh, you know, I, I couldn't bring our technology in, so, but this is this explains. If we are looking at this as the good way your machine should work, and this is the disruption, the detection will say, a second after this happened, something happened. What we say, in order to make the change, so the CISO, the Chief Information Security Officer, or the OT Manager, know what, knows what's good. He made the machine goes the way he wanted. The disruption means somebody's changing that. And we focus only on this. We come and say, when you want to make a change, it's not enough that you say that you have password P1234, because you may be either I got your password or you may be malicious by yourself. We say your command that changes from this to that must be verified by a very our advanced technology. So it's not the is what happened good is is what you're trying to do legit 
is the source of the change legit, is the time of the change legit, meaning if this is a 3 a.m. in the morning and Pete put one, Pete one, two, three, four, what the hell are you doing in the factory at 3 a.m. in the morning? Mm -hmm. So you can say is, so we verify and we say we will not allow the change to occur, to happen, to take place until we verify that the change is legit. And the disruption we or the change, the solution we've brought. So there was a lot of fear before from prevention. People say, if I prevent, maybe my machines will stop working. We say the machine will always work because the way it works now is great. We only prevent the change because the change could be good or bad. We don't know. Let's make sure that it's a legit one. And that's the disruption or the difference that we brought into the market. We're not trying to guess anything. We're not trying to outsmart the adversary. We're not trying to look at the, say, is that legit or not legit? Was this a malicious or not? We don't know. If you try to change and the change will change the, the way the machine will work, we'll make sure that it's a verified one. It's very, very interesting how that works because I actually, my last interview was with another company, interestingly enough, out of Israel called Cervelo, and they specialize in rail cybersecurity. And their technology works very similar to that, where it actually intercepts the command to determine whether or not it's a legitimate command going to the proper thing at the right time and right place. So it has all of these parameters that it does instantly that it checks against to know whether or not it's valid for that command to continue along its path to execute. And it sounds like your technology does work similarly in that it, it knows, hey, okay, you've got the right privileges you're in the system and that's okay, but what you're trying to do, no, you shouldn't be trying to do that because it doesn't match up with what is the norm or what we expect to see. Again, norm is the outcome. So Cervelo, which which is, again, it's a great company, works in a universe that needs to, they have a, I would say, not, not an easier task, but slightly different task because once you work in a specific industry, you know the boundaries, right? So if if somebody asks to put the train in 250 kilometers an hour, and you say this is way out of the norm, you you know what what's legit and not legit. Okay. And it's it's slightly different. And again, it's it's a very smart approach that they have, but it's slightly different. We are saying we don't know anything about the change, and we don't know. Well, we only say that is the change legit, coming from a legit source by a legit person and a legit time authorized and so on and so forth without any guessing. So it's the challenge there is number one, identifying the legitimacy of the source. Number two, going back to our previous discussion, unify that among the assets. Because again, if we take Cervelo, which is a great example, the universe within the rail systems is pretty standard or pretty common. We're speaking about a bit of a um, chaotic environment where you have different vendors and different protocols and different generations and so on and so forth. So it's, you need to unify the way the system works while keeping the same idea. Is the is the change legit by a legit person following a very logical steps? Yeah, I can see where it would be much, much more complicated because of all the, the basically the, uh, the variables and the options that that could come into play and it's nearly impossible to look in advance at what 
could potentially happen because it's very difficult to know whether something's looted. Maybe there's a there's a really good reason why something should be done at a certain day and certain time by a certain person. Sure. Maybe there's some sort of emergency that the system's security doesn't know about. But I'm sure there must be a way of, you know, I guess uh, maybe not overriding it, but you know, going somewhere and saying, hey, you know, we think this may not be legitimate. And then there's a way that you can say yes or no to that. All right. So we, again, in real life, we've added a failsafe. We've added mechanism for safety systems. The universe is not as simple as I've described to you now. Right. Of course, there are differences. Um, there could be anomalies. There could be things which looks to the system, to the logic. And this is exactly the thing where you bring logic, the things which are different from the logic for any reason. Again, a breakdown, meltdown in the factory at 3 a.m. Yes, people want to change to make it a change. So we as a company and um, the product is des designed to, to provide security, but remembering that the main business of the company, of the customer, is to make his thing. Okay, so not security is, is important, but it's not the the main thing. So we're making sure that the OT, the plant manager, can meet his KPIs while being safe, that the field engineers or the people on the ground are not, because they're always a friction point. You don't want to complicate stuff for them and say, okay, because they will push back. So you want to give them a simple solution, understanding their business is to meet KPIs while providing this entire um, this protection on top of that. Not an easy task, but we're doing <laughs> fine. No, not an easy task. Too, so many players and, and so many options. It, it obviously complicates things exponentially. Uh, so how about some uh, safety-focused use cases, some specific sort of use cases for where you this has been put into play? Yeah, so so again, the, the, the safety is not is by the customer. So I'll give you um, an example. Um, there are customers out there from the food sector um, so you say, what's what could what could happen there? But if somebody changes temperatures in an oven, this could be catastrophic, right? Mm -hmm. So um, companies who have big cranes, if you disrupt cranes in the maritime business, so safety is determined by the nature of the machines and by the malicious intentions of the adversary. So Colonial Pipeline is devastating. But I don't think people died there. People lost their jobs, mm -hmm. but there was no loss of life. There are other events where you're dealing with heavy machinery, with temperature, with things that move, then these are safety issues um, all over. Right, because you could change the temperature of like chemicals and cause an explosion, which obviously could cause not just damage, but injuries and, and deaths as well. Correct. Yeah, it's a... It's, you know, it, it stinks that we have to deal with this. You know, it's like the criminals are out there trying to disrupt the world. And if their talents were just put to better use, you know, in a positive way, it just we'd be in such a much better shape. You know, the whole world would be so much further along with, with what we can achieve. But unfortunately, resources have to be diverted and companies have to invest in ways that they can secure their their systems, their networks, their livelihoods, you know, both theirs uh, for the company and the employees, as well as everybody they touch, you know, their vendors and suppliers and, of course, their customers. So it's a very complicated thing. What I, I want to do and, you know, this uh, 
show is also put on YouTube so people can see video of it as well as, you know, it's the audio is streamed through all the different podcast networks. Uh, I'm going to share my screen real quick right now and just pull up your uh, your website uh, for customers, uh, people that are potentially looking at how they can secure their their networks. Um, the website is nanolocksecurity.com. And I was poking around here and, and looking at some of the uh, the different options you have on the website and information that you can book a demo here to, to learn more about it. But you have some very good information on the technology itself and, you know, what you can do and, you know, even regulations, which I thought was interesting because, you know, there's always going to be regulations. They're always changing. New ones are coming out. Old ones are being deprecated. Um, and as that, you know, as the different regulatory bodies all over the world um, are asking for more protection, as you mentioned, some of the, the ones earlier, they need to know that companies are securing themselves because we are so interconnected now. Uh, if there's a company that is, you know, talking to other companies and other systems, there's got to be ways that that can be secured and, and you know, the damage can be kept to a minimum if something occurs. Um one day installation I thought was very interesting. Uh, so, so this is something that can be installed very rapidly. It's not like somebody's got to have downtime. And so I wanted to kind of touch on that real quick because some companies out there may be listening to this thinking, well, you know, this sounds great, but you know, we're a 24 seven shop. We can't afford any downtime. I'd love to secure my network and my machines and, and do all that kind of stuff. But you know, every minute we're not working, we're losing X amount of dollars and I can't afford to be down for days or a week or shut down on a weekend. So I thought that that was interesting. So how is it possible that you're able to install that so quickly without impacting the performance of, of your customer? So again, I'm going back to the two solutions that we have. The one that we're speaking about is the OT Defender, protecting the OT assets. And because we're not installing anything in the PLC, on the PLC itself, and again, I, won't, I don't want to become too technical. And, and by the way, it's not us that's installing. It's our always with the partners. We have phenomenal partners around the world, but our partners and vendor and suppliers that are installing that. So it's a, we're installing a piece of code on, on a simple computer. We are putting a server either locally in on-prem or in the cloud or any combination of, of that. Mm -hmm. It's it's about a day and, and then you get another day of training. And again, the idea is that we're, we understand that the biggest friction point is the, the plant manager, the engineers and the, unwillingness of the company to shut down its operations for, for a long period of time. So it is by taking that into consideration from day one, by speaking with them and understanding this is a pain point, we came up with a um, solution that the um, footprint of the installation is is very, very short and, and, and brought, brought down to a minimum. That's great. And, you know, because that's companies don't want that. They don't want an impact. And, you know, that's uh, exactly what you're selling there. And, of course, you know, good auditing. Uh, and we're just looking at the website here. So those of you looking at this uh, on on YouTube can see some of that. If not, you know, definitely go to the website and check it out. Um, I thought this was pretty funny here. You've got it preventing attacks from insiders, human error supply chain, and even outsiders. You got the little UFO here. <laughs> uh, you know, you never know where it's going to come from, right? Um but EV charging, I thought was interesting because, you know, with the, the proliferation now of electric vehicles, that's something else that now we've got to worry about being connected to the grid. And if, you know, things go the way they uh, they seem to be, 
there are going to be a heck of a lot of these things connected you know, globally and worldwide. And so this is also an asset that your technology is able to protect, it, it would appear. Correct. So EV charging stations have two attack, um, two attack reasons or two reasons to attack the EV charging station. The first one is pretty straightforward. It's a financial one, right? So you have a, a machine that provides service that needs to be charged. Um, and if I can hack it and, and make sure that nobody charges me, that's better. Um, if I can lower the amount that I've consumed the best. So financial reasons. The second one is, is volume driven. These are machines that take or create demand from the grid. And by controlling them, I can play with the grid, uh, put, in, uh, put the grid in overflow and so on and so forth. Um, there's a third one, which is the connectivity to the car, but I think that's a more minimal one. The, the major two are the financial element to this and the fact that if there's no electricity demand or too much electricity demand, I can either shut down electrical cars in a country that I want to shut down the electricity, or I can over, uh, overload the the, um, the grid. So these are the two reasons. It boils down to the ability to manipulate the parameters within the EV charging station, calibration, configuration, um, and other stuff. Again, can be done remotely if they're connected can be done locally by field engineers. So there are many ways to skin that very, very specific cat. The, the more popular they will become, the more industrialized they will become, the more, more dependent the electricity, the electrical cars dependent on them, um, that will become a, a major problem. And they're very vulnerable today. Yes, and, uh, and the grid for example, in the United States is very antiquated. They have not invested the technology to protect it. it uh, it's scary because we've, we've sent billions and billions of dollars around the world. And if we had just taken a small portion of that money and invested it in hardening the grid here in the United States, we wouldn't have to worry about it as much. I mean, there are still always going to be threats, both from man and from nature, uh, with regard to how it can disrupt things. But it's... Uh, it's a big vulnerability is the electrical and you know the industries that your company uh, helps uh, as evidence on the website I, I stopped sharing my screen but um, you know energy and water and gas uh, as well as obviously the the industrial manufacturing as we've been talking about primarily and of course as we just mentioned the EV charging so there's a lot of industries that can benefit from the solutions that uh, Nanolock provides. Uh, you've, as you mentioned, you've got partners uh, that can help implement these solutions uh, all over the world, right? I mean, you're in the United States and, and lots of other countries as well. Uh, and then there are some resources on the website, uh, which I thought was great. I'll share my screen here for another quick second. Um, that um, have, you've got some great videos here. Uh, and some product briefs and brochures so people can really get a good understanding of what the solutions are for their industry. You've got white papers on here. You mentioned the NAS2 directive in Europe uh, for the network information security. And that information is on there. So anybody that needs to familiarize themselves or maybe re-familiarize themselves with some of this information, you've got a lot of really good information in here, uh, including case studies which, you know, a lot of people always like to see that, you know, they want to see, well, you know, tell me how this really did work for, you know, some other company, you can find that information out. So it's a lot of, a lot of good resources. I, uh, I like to see that uh, you've got a lot of stuff that can educate your potential customers 
And then, uh, you know, they can book a demo and hopefully become a customer, right? <laughs> um, definitely your audience from the US, Europe, uh, Singapore and Japan can definitely benefit from this and, and enjoy this. And um, we definitely see the, and, and, and this is primarily um, a US audience, but not only, but in the US, we're seeing a, a significantly growing demand and more importantly, a understanding of the need of that because of geopolitical, financial um, challenges and, 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 and basically the change in power around the world and, and some of the geopolitical occurrences in the last few years have recently... Uh, the understanding, the need, the motivation, and, and brought in budgets which are allocated for this. I don't think it's enough yet, uh, but I think there's definitely a, a beginning of a, a massive awareness. As long as we're moving in the right direction. You know, we, we always wanted to move more quickly, but sometimes these things take time. Uh, but it would appear that, you know, every company in the world really that's a manufacturer could benefit from this technology to secure their systems and their networks because these threats aren't going away. They're only, you know, ramping up. You know, we see more and more attacks every year. We see more and more successful attacks every year. Um, that number is not going to go down. And so we've got to address that problem head on. And companies need to put in their budgets the, the funds to secure their networks, you know. And, and it starts with finding out about the technologies and the solutions that are available, like Nanolocks, and being able to say, okay, well, this is what it's going to cost us. This is how we implement it. Um, so let's talk about the cost for a minute. Obviously, you know, give me prices, but do you charge by the number of devices on the network? Is it like a site license? Is it a company license? Do you do it different ways? Because I'm sure that's probably what you know some of the people are listening yeah. to thinking is, hey, it, you know, how is this, this going to cost me? Um, so it's a site license. And then when the customer says it's big enough, let's move to a corporate license. We try to shy away for per device. It's not healthy to... Um, either side. So usually a site, um, customers pay from three to five years because the assets are there for, for long periods of time. Um, so three to five years is the average. And if customer says, I have so many sites, let's go into a corporate license. Uh, we're flexible um, and we understand the nature. Um, some customers, which are on the governmental side, ask to move from what is called an OPEX model to a CAPEX model. And again, there's flexibility because they need to show that they are uh, usually the governmental ones um, ask for that. So there's a level of flexibility, but per site or corporate is a the path that the majority of the customers are, are going through. I think probably people like that too, because they don't want to be nickel and dimed. You know, every time you add another device on a network, oh, it's going to cost Correct. you more money. Correct. Yeah, it, so it's, that, not, uh, it's not right and it's not, and, and, and the auditing of that is, is nobody's happy. Right. No, that makes sense. And I'm sure uh, people listening are, are <laughs> smiling and thinking, good, I don't want to have to worry about that. You know, it's like, what do I got to do? How, what do I got to pay you? And then whatever they put on their network, they know it's going to be secured by uh, by your solution. So that's that's fantastic. I, I'm very glad we uh, we got a chance to connect and learn about the technology and start to educate people about it. Because as I said, the threats aren't going away. We We need to address it head on. You need to be proactive about it. You know, reactive is is not the way to be because the damage has been done. The, the problem's already occurred and now you're doing damage control. And uh, the recovery side of it is much more difficult when you, you know, when you have to deal with that and you better have a plan in place to, re you know, when something does happen, you better know what you're going to do, which, how you're going to get back online as quickly as possible, what 
you know, what areas do you need to focus on? Uh, and that's something that my company does. And that's why I thought it was really interesting that um, that you came across here as a guest, because I'm like, wow, you know, here's somebody that's that's out in the field. You're doing it all the time. You see the threats. You know, you can understand them. You can communicate that. And then most importantly, you provide a solution to to companies that need it. Uh, is there anything else uh, as we get wrapped up here, Aaron, that um, you'd like to tell us that we haven't talked about or maybe any kind of last thoughts we want to leave the audience with? Number one, I, I really enjoyed the show. So thank you for having me here. It was it was a pleasure, and, and thank you for the for the very avid discussion. Um, I, I think you you said it right. It, it's it's a I urge people, and, and again, I'm not trying to sell anything through through this discussion. It is important. Security and safety is the important is important for everyone, and even companies who think they're not not part of that game because they don't make electricity or water because they make um, toys or chocolate. Somewhere there's somebody that has an interest to potential interest. Not everything is is to scare everyone, but just an awareness and and being proactive. I think it's it's definitely um, a, a great recommendation. So I'm 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 just following you on this, following you on this. Okay, well it's it's uh it, there's a need. You have a solution to that need, and uh, I encourage anybody that you know, has any sort of manufacturing facility to, you know, take a look at it, you know, book a demo, you know, you don't have to commit to anything, but find out more about it because at the very least, you're going to become more informed and educated about what threats are out there. You know, maybe it's not in a budget this year, get it in a budget next year. You know, the threats aren't going away, they're getting worse. And if you're out of business, that what benefit is that to anybody? It's affecting many people's lives. So, you know, just to kind of sum it all up for everybody, um, Aaron's company, Nanolock, solutions, they're basically shifting the paradigm here, okay, from post-incident detection to a level of prevention and protection at the device level. And so it, it changes the narrative. It's different than how some other solutions work. And the system is designed for all types of PLCs, those programmable logic controllers, uh, including legacy systems, new systems, things that are connected, not connected, uh, and even stuff that's air-gapped, as Aaron mentioned earlier. Um, it also allows for complete traceability of all of those PLC-related activities. Uh, and so it is protecting also the uh, industrial control systems, those ICSs against outsiders, as well as you know, people from the inside or any you know, cyber threats that may exist uh, or come in from the supply chain side. And of course, human errors. Um, it helps ensure that you have zero downtime. And time is money and you don't want to have any downtime in your production. So uh, with no impact on performance or a functionality, you could have a solution that strengthens the safety uh, as well as ensures regulatory compliance of your company. Uh, so it sounds like, you know, Nanolux got it all covered for you and you want to basically uh, take a look at it and and see how it can help your business. So uh, did I miss anything, Aaron? Is that pretty uh, sum no. it up? <laughs> no, it's, it's a beautiful definition. And I, and, and I, I appreciate the clarity of explaining this. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. It, uh, it was great to have you on. I know uh, it's a bit of a chaotic time for you. So carving out, you know, an hour for us here as uh, as you're dealing with things over in Israel, um, the thoughts and hearts and prayers of of everybody around the world is is with uh, the state of Israel, and um, we we hope that it's a comes to a a good completed solution that is never repeated. And um, that's about all I could say about it because it's it's been staggering what, what we've had to witness. So um, again, I do appreciate that. So Thank you very much. anybody, uh, absolutely. 
again, if you're interested in learning more about uh, Aaron or Nanolock, uh, you can check again, check out the website, nanolocksecurity.com. Great information there, as I mentioned, explains everything. Uh, they're also on social media. You can find them on LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, there's a YouTube channel out there so and Facebook. So we will have those links in the uh, below the, the video on YouTube, but uh, you can also just search for them and you will find them. So uh, again, thanks so much, Aaron. Really appreciate you coming on today. And uh, thanks for our listeners to uh, tuning into Safety Talk. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to get the latest information. And until next time, everybody, please stay safe. Thanks for tuning into Safety Talk. You can listen to past episodes and get the latest safety news at our website, safetytalkpodcast.com. Be sure to visit our other websites for free safety checklists and infographics. You can also sign up for free online self-defense training, learn about college campus safety, and find out more about Pete and how he can help educate your school or business through his speaking, workshops, seminars, and consulting. Subscribe to the Safety Talk podcast and never miss out on any new safety information. Until next time, stay safe.